Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 349 with Dr. Richard Schuster. Dr. Schuster is talking about helping, being kind, and the difference and impact that makes. So you'll learn, one, the implications of being kind to others at work. Two, the two kinds of kindness and which one is better for your health. And three, the number one pro tip for being kind to your colleagues. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep349. Here is Dr. Richard's story. Dr. Richard Schuster is a licensed clinical psychologist and the host of The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster, Food for the Brain, Knowledge from the Experts, Tools to Win at Life, which is regularly downloaded in over 70 countries. On his podcast, Dr. Schuster's guests educate and inspire listeners through their stories, expertise, and passion for helping make a difference in the lives of others. His mission is to make the world a better place, and his show's growing movement strives to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others and post on their social media using hashtag MyDailyHelping. A sought-after media expert, Dr. Schuster's clinical expertise and podcast have been featured in such publications as the Huffington Post, Men's Health, Women's Health, Real Simple, NBCNews.com, Cosmopolitan, Glassdoor.com, Reader's Digest, and others. Thanks to Dr. Richard Schuster for bringing the goods, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Now, here is Dr. Richard Schuster. Dr. Richard, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, it is awesome to be at the Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I, I'm really glad that we got to do this. I enjoyed meeting you at Podcast Movement. We spent about half an hour talking about barbecue, <laughs> and, and, and then we got into the weightier things of life. Yes, I think most conversations should start with some <laughs> mentioning of barbecue, to be sure. Well, so let, let's go right for some heavy stuff. You... you have a wild story in which you had a car accident, but you say it changed your life for the better. What, what's the, the scoop here? Sure. So ironically enough, had you met me prior to this accident, I would have been really anti-candidate to come on your show because <laughs> I wasn't overly happy with what I was doing. I was doing it in a large part because of expectations that I thought that others had of me. I was in the midst of creating an IT consulting company I just bid on a government contract through the military and won, which was pretty wild for somebody in their early 20s. And one day, while driving on any just a normal Saturday, I was in a horrific car accident in which I broke my spine. A car went careening through a light as I was making a left turn, slammed into me, which sent me into oncoming traffic after my airbags deployed. And then it was a telephone pole, which ultimately stopped my forward momentum. Mm. And prior to that car accident, prior to that day, I was very, very selfish. I was very materialistic. I would refer to my business as the Schuster Empire. Like that. I really <laughs> felt that way, you know? And then I'm superior. And, and if anyone's ever seen that movie, Family Man with Nicolas Cage, I wanted to be him before, you know, he had the kids, you know, the fast cars and the money and all of these things. And so what's really interesting is that there's been a lot of research done on what happens to people when they're in near-death experiences. Well, you know, you always hear that the cliche, right? Oh, my life flashes before my eyes, like that sort of thing. Well, that's not what happens to a lot of people. What happens to a lot of people is when they perceive they're about to die, 
time slows down quite significantly. And, you know, a lot of soldiers have reported this going back to many, many wars. You know, we have letters from soldiers who have talked about this historically. So in this moment from when car one hits me and then the airbag goes off and I'm careening, that whole accident scene that I described to you was maybe, maybe three seconds in total. Mm-hmm. But for me, in real time, it felt like it was significantly longer. I, I'm sitting there watching the center console crush into my ribs like it's somebody's crushing a can of Coke in their hand. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm about to die. It wasn't one of these like Ebenezer Scrooge kind of moments like, dear God, let me live and I'll be a good person. I was dead. I knew I was going to die. And my thoughts then shifted to... My parents, my mom in particular, I was, I was young and I wasn't married. And I was like, my mom's about to get this call that her son is dead. And I was so guilty because what a, what a senseless way to die. And then the next thought that I had, which kind of came out of that, that guilt about my parents was, what, if, what do I have to show? Like, what have I really accomplished in my life? What am I proud of? And what are people going to be proud of me for? And the answer was not much. And and then, obviously, I didn't die. Uh, it took me quite a long time to recover. But for me, Pete, nothing was ever the same after that. And I, I went back to work after some time and was miserable. And I stuck it out far longer than I should have, in large part because of fear. Uh, there were I, I didn't know what I would do. That was the thing that I thought I was supposed to do. I didn't want to let people down. Uh, but I was just miserable, and I knew I wanted to do something more and, and something that helped you know, society, helped the world. And so one day, I walked away from that. I, I just said, I'm done, and I walked out. And you know, the, the reactions that I got from my circle were you know, as expected. You know, When people do things that don't make sense to them, people tell you, you're crazy. What? Huh? You know, you're, you're you're doing what? You're like, how could you possibly do that? You've invested all this time and money and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, I went from 80 hours a week to zero and was going through this period of time where I'm finding who I am. I know that's, that's also very cliche, but, and I'm just kind of sitting around and there was a lot of, even though I had left, I was scared out of my mind. I had no clue what I was going to be doing next. And, you know, thinking that all this time I spent in technology was was kind of wasted. And then something really funny happened. I, I went to the local grocery store in the city where I was living at the time, and I heard these women talking. This was maybe circa 2003-ish. So Facebook didn't exist. Uh, MySpace was the thing then. Well, I think Facebook did exist, but it was only for college students. And so I heard these women talking about you know, they're teens, you know, doing questionable behavior on the internet. And so I butted in, which is something I don't usually do, but I interjected into their conversation. I had some background in network security and technology. And so all of a sudden, now they're inviting me to speak at their PTA and I'm volunteering my time. And somebody in the audience was in that cybercrime unit of their local police department. No idea why they didn't ask him, but they asked me. <laughs> and, and, that, <laughs> and, and so, you know, that guy, that guy was really, he came up to me after and he was really excited. He said, you know, you're, you're a civilian, but you've got this knowledge. You want to come, in, come and start kind of doing the tour with us. So now I'm speaking in front of large groups of people. And all of a sudden, that statement that I had made to myself about 
the wasted time and technology, not doing things meaningful to help society, that all went away. And and just doing that speaking reframed that for me. And so that led to other experiences which pushed me towards graduate school. Uh, in getting my first master's degree, I was privileged to work with evacuees from New Orleans who you know, lost everything during Hurricane Katrina. That was really powerful to see that. And then I went on to pursue a doctorate in clinical psychology where I then got advanced training in forensic and neuropsychology. So that's kind of what my quote-unquote day job became. And while I was privileged and grateful for the opportunity to work with patients directly, the thing that was really still kind of biting at me was, well, how do I do something more? How do I do something grander? And so that's when I came up with the Daily Helping Podcast. And the show's mission is to help people become the best versions of themselves. And of course, there's a lot of shows with similar themes, and that's aspirational, right? You know, Pete, you're not going to get a certificate three weeks from now in the mail for me, your your wife, or anybody else says, congratulations, Pete, you are now the best version of who you are. Even if I it's, sign up for your even elite if you double platinum it. diamond right. program? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Unfortunately, no, we do. We just can't make that kind of a guarantee. Oh, I know, I know. It, it's a bummer, but but in all seriousness, right? That's an aspirational statement. Like we we of course strive to learn and become better than we were the day before. But you know, applying what I learned in graduate school about neuroscience is that uh, the research indicates it's very interesting. Is that we as a society? You know, I'll, I'll take a step back because my my doctoral dissertation was on the impact of personality functioning via te- from technology and, and in particular social media. So social media really has turned us into this society where we are often presenting this idealized version of ourself and often a false version of ourself to the world because when we log on to Facebook or Instagram and whatnot and we see our neighbor always on an amazing vacation or doing something crazy. Like we want to do the same thing and we want to show how wonderful we are. So what I wanted to do with the podcast was tie the show's movement into something that has been researched. And that is when we help people, the same structures of our brains, the same neurotransmitters, the same things fire as when we receive assistance. And a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people don't think about that. But so part of my show's movement is I encourage my listeners every episode in our call to action to go out and commit an act of kindness and post it in their social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping. Because I know that if I can get people And the goal is to get a million people every day doing this, by the way, that if we can get that many people committing acts of kindness, they're going to feel better about themselves. They're going to like who they are. And when we're all liking who we are and liking what we're doing, that's going to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is cool and, and a beautiful vision. And, and I'm so glad that, that you're alive and that you, you, you took sort of good inspirations. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> from- you know, from from that scary experience. And so you're helping and you've got all kinds of neuroscience insights into into helping. And so making the world a better place. Yes, I am about that. Uh, and even more precisely, we're about that in the context of, of people being awesome at their jobs and, and experiencing the joys that, that come with that in terms of being able to to better serve others and just experience the the joy of excellence and, and doing your thing and uh, and how that enriches everybody all the more as opposed to being lame at your job. So I want to get your take then on on how does helping others help us become awesome at our jobs? 
So th- there's a lot of research done by IO psychologists about you know what happens to us when we like what we do and when we're good at what we do. And so particularly those that have high degrees of employment satisfaction are demonstrated to have higher levels of oxytocin present in their blood. And oxytocin is a hormone that's released by the hypothalamus. It flows out into our bloodstream. And it's really been demonstrated to do a lot of things, including promote feelings of trust. So if you're good at your job, you're likely going to be more prone to connect meaningfully with your coworkers, to value your team, to be helpful to others who are in your workplace. And what the research has also shown is that people who are in that space, who like what they do, who are all about the camaraderie, who have a high degree of competence and satisfaction in their job, they also experience, how about this, less stress, less anxiety. They report having an overall brighter and better mood than those that don't. And their relationship satisfaction is higher. And for those people who are employers, you like this too. Fewer sick days have been demonstrated consistently in the research by those who excel at what they do professionally. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's uh, compelling stuff. And so so good good news there. And um, oxytocin, that, that, whole, that whole molecule is fascinating. We had Dr. Paul Zak discuss oxytocin in a previous episode. He was actually my first guest on my show. He, he's good phenomenal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so good stuff. So all right, I, I'm with you there. So being awesome at your job has has benefits that um, extend beyond, you know, just a, a good review and maybe a, a pay raise or, or, or promotion. That's cool. And, and so I'm curious in the realm of of helping when you're helping other folks, I guess I'm thinking kind of about the Adam Grant, you know, give and take stuff. How do you think about that with, with your sort of your mission about changing the world, making a better place with more helping and becoming the best version of yourselves and then doing these acts of kindness. How do you think about in, in the grand scheme of you got your, your resources, your time, your energy, your attention, how you spend your day. And how do you think about the sort of allocation of, am I, am I giving or am I taking? And am I giving to just anybody or am I giving strategically or is giving strategically really self-serving and not truly giving and thus I don't get the cool brain benefits? I just want to enter this, this messy tangle with you. So it's the most controversial, non-controversial subject ever, right? Like it's interesting because there's research on both sides of this. There are those that posit that If you are strategically giving, i.e. giving from a self-serving perspective, that's not truly generosity. Whereas there's others who say that any kind of altruistic act, even if it is self-serving or has some intentionality behind it, the, the end result is that it helps others. So the textbook definition of altruism is an act which helps another person where one is expecting nothing in return. And what I would say is that I think both sides can be right. And I'm not saying that to pass the buck, but if, if you think about it, so what, let's, let's use the example of strategically self-serving, right? So there might be a charity or an organization or, you know, something, a fundraiser for your kid's school, and you have X number of hours in your day. You know, you talked about the allotment of time. You have an X, X amount of time. X amount of resources or money, 
And so you choose strategically to give that to something which is important to you. To me, that that is just as altruistic as the person who wants to help an old lady, little old lady cross the street, right? Like it, it, it's still an altruistic motive. It's still you're, you're intending to help somebody, even though example A, that helping is more directed. It's still helping. And you know, now there's there's the other proponents who say, you know, that I'm going to give somebody if I give somebody five dollars because I think the universe is going to pay it forward to me and give me ten back. Is that really altruism? So there's where the research gets interesting. There there have been some studies which shows our brains react the same whether we're giving with intentionality, like hoping to get something back, or whether we are in fact just giving to give. And yet. There's also research on the other side. What we do know definitively is that, you know, if I were to take two people and hook up in a real time diagnostic imaging of their brains, you know, units that could do that. We live in this wonderful age where we have the technology to do these sorts of things. And person A gave somebody a thousand dollars and person B received a thousand dollars where the same parts of the brain light up. My take on, on all of the research is that I believe that you can't help but have a sense of satisfaction when you help somebody for the purposes of just helping. You know, when you're just trying to do something nice for somebody else and you do it, it feels intrinsically better than it does if you're kind of coerced into it. Like if it's a fundraiser or, or like a, a Girl Scout cookie drive or something, there's just a difference there. So you know, whereas, you know, this reward system that I'm talking about that I, I've referenced, which is called the mesolimbic pathway in our brain, that's a pretty old biological system. And so what really separates us from lower animals is because of our frontal lobes, that prefrontal cortex. We have the higher reasoning abilities and we have the capabilities of applying experiences and emotions to things in a different way than, than say, a dog, right? So. To me, because of the evolution of our brain and these other capabilities we have, it seems intrinsically reasonable to say that if you're doing something that is truly altruistic, you're going to get that extra kick of feeling good that you might not get if you're doing it for an ulterior motive, if that makes sense. Yeah, I hear you. And, and it's funny, as you mentioned the $1,000 and the same parts of the brain lighting up, I mean, I think that in a way that's surprising, but in another way, if I really put myself in those shoes, it is similar. Like if I were to receive $1,000, I'd be like, what? Well, you know, it's like, what, what a delight. This is crazy and, and wild and surprising and, and wonderful. At the same time, if you were to just give that just for kicks, it also feels that way. I remember I've, I've had a couple experiences, you know, not to toot my own horn, but we're, we're just using examples here to illustrate. But like, I heard some gals uh, chatting behind me the line in Chipotle, and it was clear they were like in college and pretty broke, <laughs> you know. And I was like, man, I remember those days having like three hundred total dollars and hoping that I could not spend all of it until the summer <laughs> where I could work and do some more at an internship or something. And so I, I heard them talking about being broke, college woes. And so I just decided to to pay for their their Chipotle. And uh, it, it was just kind of a, almost like a, a delight in the sense of it's almost like I'm getting away with something. <laughs> and then, you know, they're very appreciative and whatever. But 
but yeah, that feels awesome. But likewise, I have a couple of times I've paid the toll for the person behind me. Just, I, I think I heard like a motivational speaker suggest that once. It's like, yeah, let's give that a shot. And, and it was, it was really fun because then you kind of look through your rear view mirror. They're like, what? Really? Huh? Awesome. <laughs> it, it's so funny you know, that what you described, I, I do similar things. Like I, I will sometimes, you know, buy the grocery card for somebody else when I'm, I'm in line. And the reaction you described is exactly right on. Like they, they kind of freak out, right? They start looking around for hidden cameras. Like they wonder what the angle is, but I'm sure you saw in these college students, the same thing that, that most people would experience when they do that is once once somebody realizes that this is a genuine, legit thing, their mind is so blown that you can see their entire perspective change. Like they, they go from suspiciousness to what's going on to disbelief to really to, oh my God, this is so amazing. And it's that feeling, right? It's that feeling of just this, this is so wonderful. And that's why I'm really trying to help people get out there and do that because the more we feel that, as I said, that the better our lives are, the better everybody everybody's lives are. Yeah, totally. That's cool. Well, and so then in the workplace, then it's intriguing that so in giving, you are not only just being helpful and maybe uh, eliciting reciprocation, although I guess it's a little bit debated whether if you fixate on that, <laughs> that uh, you may be shooting yourself in the foot in terms of of the you know biochemical benefits flowing to you. But when you do so, you're feeling awesome. And so that has all kinds of cool follow-on effects in terms of being able to you know be, be happy, more productive and cheerful and energetic and creative and, and all that sort of stuff. Thinking about Sean Acor's happiness advantage stuff here. So that's cool. What was in how else do you think about giving in, in the realm of, you know, relationships and, and networks and, and colleagues and collaboration? What, what are some of your other favorite perspectives or pro tips there? So one of the things that's been very helpful for me is, you know, we, I remember, I'm sure your audience remembers when those bracelets came out that everybody started wearing, you know, WWJD, I think they were called, right? And it was like a reminder kind of like this string around your finger to act in a certain way. And for me, the thing that I kind of ask myself, which is my my one thing to, to talk about Jeff Woods here a little bit, like I try and act in a way that all of my actions in some way can help other people, even if it's in, even if it's of no benefit to me directly. So in terms of networking, in terms of colleagues, and not just in a work setting, this can certainly apply to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors. It's, you know, what can I do? That's the question. What can I do to add value to you? How can I help you? You know, the, the quickest way to put people off is just to start talking about yourself. Nobody wants to hear that. But if we, if we're genuinely interested, and I'm, I'm not talking just like playing lip service to Dale Carnegie. You know, I mean, the, these are not secrets. These are things that have been out there for a very long time. But when we genuinely show interest in others and say, oh, you know, you do this, you know, you're, you're new to our department. Well, you know, kind of here, here's the ropes. That person's going to be appreciative of you. And, and that's the first place I'd start is connect with people by finding out more about them and finding out how you can leverage the things that you're intrinsically good at to help them make their jobs easier. Yeah, right on. That's good. Well, so um, so that's the scoop when, when it comes to the the helping in, in the workplace. I'd also love to hear some of your kind of research-based insights on, your subtitle is awesome, Food for the Brain, Knowledge from the Experts, Tools to Win at Life. So 
Could you give us some of your some of the greatest hits in terms of you know tips and takeaways for how one does transform to become the best version of themselves? I think you have to be very clear on what matters to you, and that starts with your values. If you don't know what you stand for and you don't know what's important to you, then it's really going to be difficult for you to define with any degree of certainty who you are as a person. I tell everybody the first thing to do is get extremely granular about that. And then the next thing is to, once you know your values, find out what specific things fire you. So people hear me talk and, and I've had people come up to me at, at conventions and whatnot and say, you know, that what you're saying is, is great and all, but you know, I, I'm in my job, it's a good job and I'm, I'm looking for fulfillment, but I don't, I've got two kids and I don't want to start my own business or something like that. And so what I would say to people who are thinking that listening to us talk, Pete, is that there's a lot of different ways to find fulfillment. And that's why knowing what you're passionate about matters. You can keep your day job and you know you don't have to, at the age of 40, quit and go back to graduate school to become a counselor. You know, you can you can volunteer at Boys and Girls Club or something like that. So if if you if animals are important to you, you can dedicate some time at, at a shelter or you know foster animals or, or what have you. So the whole point is that there's it's not such a black and white thing. And just because you like something doesn't mean that has to be you know like what you love to do. We talked about barbecue, right? We we spent a, a significant amount of time talking about the the awesomeness of smoking meat. <laughs> And yet neither you nor I are going to be, you know, quitting our jobs to, you know, open up a barbecue restaurant, right? Like it's just, so there is some common sense to this, but I will say this, that if for those of you, or for those of us rather, who are able to find something we're passionate about, that it's something that we feel good about doing, ergo makes the world a better place, helps society, and that we're able to generate income from that, that is the tops. That is absolutely the tops. I dig it. I dig it. Now, could you share with us, you know, for you in interviewing all of your different podcast guests, are there a couple of those guests who have really made a, a lasting impact on, on how you think and operate in your daily work and life? One for sure was Sean Swarner, who was episode 31 on my show. And Sean, for those of you who aren't familiar with him, was voted as one of the eight most inspirational people alive. I think he won the ESPN Award for Courage as well. And Sean's story was so powerful because basically he did, at two different points in his life, contract two extraordinarily rare cancers. I don't remember the number he gave on the show of the odds of getting both of these different types of terminal cancers, but the odds were like winning the lottery a gazillion times. I mean, it was a ridiculously, no, it's just an impossible number. And yet, you know, despite having these two fatal diseases, he overcame that. And not only did he overcome that, and one of the, one of the cancers cost him a lung, he then went on to climb Mount Everest with one lung, and continues to scale Mount Kilimanjaro, and he's, he's climbed all of the top mountains in the world, and he plants a flag for people with cancer. And hearing his story was so incredibly powerful, and it's it's one of those things where if you hear it, and you think about any obstacle in your life, no matter what it is, how could you not believe that you can overcome it? 
after hearing a story like that. So I think that's probably the most powerful episode that I that I've ever heard. Um, I had another episode that I recently recorded. I'm not sure if it will air before this does, but with John O'Leary, who had a, a a similar story where he miraculously overcame medical odds, which were like 99% chance that he was going to die as well, and and shared his story about how he inspires others. Um, others that have really resonated with me, uh, episode 48, David Osborne, the New York Times bestselling author of Wealth Can't Wait, was on, on my program. And what was so powerful about David, and, and for those of you who, who know and meet him, he's the most down-to-earth guy who in the world. And you know he's got a net worth of you know, well over $100 million that he created himself. And his whole mission in life is to give it all away. So what an awesome reminder you know, for those of us striving for success about what it's really all about. Those are a couple. There are others, but those are two top of mind that are really special episodes for me. Awesome. Thank you. And and finally, so you have started a nonprofit recently and you're doing some some helping through that vehicle. What's the scoop here? So, you know, I, I talk about miracles in my life and surviving my accident was the first. My son being born was the second. And before I turn people off and, and you think that I'm rambling off a Hallmark card. My son, who is now five and a half years old and perfect and wonderful, nearly died in utero. And the miracle that I spoke of was that at 31 weeks into my wife's pregnancy, she collapses at work and uh, has to go to the hospital right away, of course. And we're, we're fearing the worst, thinking, you know, something's horribly wrong with the baby. And the doctor who comes out gives the good news and bad news speech, which I think is actually worse than just getting bad news. Like You just kind of want to know what it is. And so the good news was that the reason why my wife was in debilitating pain was because my little guy was kicking her sciatic nerve, which is extraordinarily painful and yet not really dangerous to the child and certainly wasn't dangerous to my wife. So in a way, he was letting the world know that we need to get my wife into a hospital because what the doctor told us was that she had a very insidiously slow leak of her amniotic fluid, so slow that it was imperceptible. And yet, had we not come in when we came in, my son would have suffocated to death in her womb 12 hours later. That's what they told us. So we're freaking out and and I'll very much abridge the story for you. But as my wife was on bed rest for the rest of the pregnancy, cooking until 37 weeks, but when he was born, because the lack of fluid. He had fluid to live, but not fluid to move. And so he was born with a tremendous amount of developmental difficulties, yet he was smart. And so as he got a little bit older and we tried to get him some help, his high cognitive scores really brought up his overall scoring. And we couldn't get him all of the help that he needed for some of these other delay areas. And we struggled. And so you know, where we had been reasonably financially responsible up until that time, we did what any parent would do, is that we we got our kid the help any way we could, which was we put stuff on credit cards. And, and financially, nearly, this was in 2012, 2013, almost destroyed ourselves at the time. But I would do it, of course, as would any parent over and over again to save my kid, help my kid. And so he struggled so mightily, but because we got him the help, because he, his teacher was so amazing and his school, his preschool was so amazing. Now, as I said, I have a, perf- a very happy ending. I have a very wonderful kid who can do everything 
than any other child could do. And what I really wanted to be able to create was this entity that helps those kids like my son that just need a little bit of a push to reach their true potential. There's a lot of organizations in place, and God bless them, and I wish we had more, that are going to help those kids with severe issues. And the schools are federally mandated as well for those children that meet a certain criteria that that are beyond a certain threshold clinically or academically in terms of impairment, that they have to give them some degree of assistance. But the vast majority of kids with problems are not the ones that are acting out behaviorally. They're silent and they sit in their classroom and they wonder why their classmates are so much better at the things that they can't do. And they are the ones who are at increased risk for things like depression and low self-esteem. And there's nobody in this space, Pete. Our, Our charity called Every Kid Rocks. And so what we are as a pastor, we collect money and schools apply to be a part of our organization. Participating schools are trained by us and they are taught how to identify these children that might need just a little push, a little bit of speech, physical, or occupational therapy so that they may reach their true potential. It's uh, the most exciting thing that I've, I've ever been a part of. I, I feel uh, really honored and grateful that so many people have come out in, in support of it. And we're just actually getting ready to launch. I don't know when this is going to air, but we finally received our 501c3 status from the IRS in July. And so now we're just putting the final back-end infrastructure in place, to technology in particular, and we are going to be turning the lights on uh, in October. So we're, we're very excited, and, and our goal is to help 10,000 children a year in this country. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Cool. Well, so now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? So I don't know if there's a favorite quote I have per se. I, I would say the, the Jim Rohn quote is, is one that always resonates strongly with me and that you're the average of the five people that you hang around with. And I know that's been overused in this space, but but I want to qualify as to why in that you know, one of the things that we've discovered in recent years are these little guys up on our brains called mirror neurons. And so uh, a number of months ago, it was actually during the, the last football season, NBC.com asked me to collaborate with them on what happens to our brain when we watch football. And the, the example there was, you think about this scenario, why would a total stranger go up and hug another total stranger, high five another total stranger. It's just not something that we often do. And it's because we have these things in our brains that are all throughout our brain called mirror neurons. And what mirror neurons do is they are they wire us essentially to connect with people who evidence similar emotions or characteristics to things that we find intrinsically reasonable or valuable. So Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, Jim Rohn, all of these guys have been talking about this forever and the birds of a feather, right? It's another spin on the same thing. But the science behind the mirror neurons is we, our brains adapt to become more like the people that we associate with. So if you want to be really happy and successful, there's a reason why being around really happy and successful people push you into that space as well. And the mirror neurons are, are the the hardwired science behind that. So I, I guess I guess I, I backed into that response, but so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna own that, Pete, and say that's my favorite quote. All right. And how about a favorite tool? Oh God. Uh, my big green egg. No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I really uh, the things that I use the most are 
Slack, Trello, and I and Upwork.com, which isn't a tool, but it's a place. I mean, basically, my position is any way that I can leverage technology or resources to automate processes within my organizations or take time off my hands, which allows me to spend more time and be more present with my wife and children is important to me. All right. How about a favorite habit? Favorite habit is getting up at 5 a.m. every day and starting the day by writing three things that I'm really grateful for every day. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with listeners and, and folks that you're engaging with? What I tell everybody is do something for someone else, even if it's of no benefit to you, do something nice for somebody else. And when you do that, your days are going to feel better. And if you can start stringing days together, weeks together, months together, you're going to feel good every day. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think I just did it. Yeah, it sounds like it. I I think I just did. Yeah. I mean, I I would encourage you, and this can be an act of kindness within your workplace. This can be an act of kindness within your community. Uh, This can be an act of kindness with your significant other. Do something unexpected. Do something nice. And, And I'll go even a step further that if there is somebody who you have historically butted heads with in your organization, I challenge you, especially to start doing nice things for them and and watch what happens. Oh, cool. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So I would point everybody to thedailyhelping.com and that's the mothership of everything related to the show. And you can check out all the latest episodes of the podcast and happenings right there. And we have something called personal helping and I'd like to offer that to your audience if, if you're okay with that. Oh, sure. Thank you. And, and what's personal helping? How's that work? So personal helping is our coaching system that I developed with a number of behavior science experts. So there's a little bit of neuroscience, there's some research into strengths, and and essentially personal helping is going to help you do some of those things that I talked about earlier, really find out what your core values and beliefs are, what are the things that, that power you, how to implement some of those things into your life. And using the neuroscience of habit formation, we help you build out a schedule and a routine to where those things become a part of what you do every day, which overall makes you happier, perform better, and more on top of your game. And so if you're interested, we give away 10 coaching sessions a month through the platform. Go to thedailyhelping.com forward slash contest and sign up and hope that you win. Cool. Thanks. Well, Dr. Richard, this has been a blast. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking this time and, and doing all you do with the helping. It's been great being here, Pete. Thanks so much. I really love Dr. Richard's simple yet practical and wise advice about how if you really show that you are truly interested in another person, what they're saying, what they're thinking, what they're working through, dealing with, it makes all the difference because I think so often whenever we, we hear interest or someone, you know, checks in or, or speaks up or contacts us, it's, it's almost like our default is, well, what do you want? <laughs> you know, got to get to the point. What is the reason for you contacting me? What is it that you need from me? And then so it, it's so refreshing when, when you just are genuinely interested, like, Hey, what's going on? I'm just kind of curious. See how you're doing. Oh, what are you working on? Oh, that's cool. I can help you with that. Like it just, it makes all the difference. It's, it's a simple thing. It's not brilliantly innovative, but it's 
deep within us and, and super helpful. So, so thanks to Dr. Richard for that helpful reminder. Hope you dug that and other tidbits. Again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep349. I also hope if you haven't already, you'll push the subscribe button. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Jake Knapp in episode number 350. And Jake, he is working at Google and he came up with their uh, legendary design sprints. He's got a, a rock and bestseller and another probably soon to release. It is all about making time to be your most productive self. And he comes at it from a lot of really great hands-on research and interview as a super smart, you know, Googler type of guy. So hope to get you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.